Hi, Anthony. Pronounce your last name. How many people ask you that? Everyone. Atamanic. 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 That's yeah. so easy. It doesn't sound easy, but it doesn't look easy. It just rolls off your tongue. <laughs> oh, yeah, really. And, and how many people have asked you, why didn't you change your name? Uh, Howard Stern asked me like nine times nine the other times. day. Yeah, every time I appear on Stern, he criticizes my last name for about five minutes. Yeah. And I'm like, I can't jam 44. What am I going to do? Yeah. I'm going to change it now? And what am I calling myself? Tony Lawrence? I sound like a bad lounge act. Did, did you think you weren't going to be so famous? So what's the big deal? I had no. I mean, yes, I never, I did never think this would happen. I thought I would be like kind of a bit actor on television shows and do live theater in New York, which I was fine with. And then this thing came along and it just opened all these doors. So you didn't do impressions. That's not your thing. What is your thing besides Trump? I mean, being a comic actor and a writer, I was improvising at UCB for a long time. But also, like, I would do, you know, a variety show that almost all my writers came for the present show came through my variety show. I did it with my friend John Gambling for years and myself. And we would just pick whatever social satire thing was of the day. And uh, we would pick characters and do them. So would I like have to learn how to do a Steve Jobs in a day? I would. I'd go, oh, I got to do Steve Jobs. So I would figure out how to do him. Sometimes it would be ridiculous. Like I do a Stanley Kubrick, but I just talk in a Cockney accent. So it's like all about what you do. You know what I mean? So I did characters impressions all that but not with the sense of like i have to do this super accurate version of this person it was just sort of a brush stroke and then trump came along and because i stepped into that sort of accidentally once the tour started with james adomi and the trump versus bernie and james was like such a pro impressionist i was like oh i gotta step my game up and so then i did serious research and 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 worked on doing him and I, as a result I I don't understand why. Why aren't you on SNL? Why did you ever audition for I SNL? Audition. I, I, I auditioned in 2016, and I did Donald Trump, uh, Woody Allen talking to uh, Ronan Farrow about who his dad was. Uh, I did my landlord, and I did another character, and then I also did Alec Baldwin. And yes, I did. Ball. I'm the only person I think ever in the history of SNL who did an impression of the person who ended up doing the impression that I auditioned with. Isn't that crazy? So is it just one of those, you know, you don't know why some people make it, some people don't? Oh, I mean, listen, to get to audition and do it on the stage uh, was a thrill. And I have a lot of friends who worked there and worked there and still work there. So I also know that my tape went around and was really positively received. I think that, you know, Lauren made a quite frankly a great decision i think he made a decision to take someone uh put alec there and alec does i think a very broad and different version than i do and he said that he's like i'm not aiming for accuracy i'm sort of have my four takes i do and i do it and so you know he lives in a totally different lane than i live in and um I think that, you know, they they have done a successful job of stunt casting a lot of people in there. And I think on our show, we are sort of see as very New York theater. So we want to bring people in that not only do a great impression, but we can know they can really hold their water for a long time. And so Mario Cantone and Kathy Griffin and, and now Stephanie March and all these John Gambling, all these people playing these parts, uh, you know, we've become a troupe. And, and so we have an advantage SNL doesn't have in the sense that we have a long form sort of goal that we're building a narrative world. And that's just not what they can do over there they have a different thing you know so, so you're you're it, it it was kind of your destiny then to do best job i never got okay you know what i mean best right. job i never got owning your own show like running your own show 
is way better than being a cast member on another show. Yeah, I've heard that. Lauren yeah. can be difficult. Oh, it's not even that. I mean, I, I worked on 30 Rock, so, you know, I, I met him multiple times. Um, it, it's, that, it's just the notion of if you're an employee versus a boss is a totally different deal. Um, I was disappointed that your show, you had a weekly show, The President Show, and then it became specials. Yeah, I was too. I was disappointed too. No, I was just surprised. I was surprised because wasn't it, didn't it, it seemed to, I mean, if I was watching it, everybody was watching it. Do you understand me? Of course, yes. Uh, We, listen, I think we were very uh, successful. Um, I think uh, because of the fact that we were in a slot that was going to switch out, which we all knew, because another show, my good friend Jordan Klepper's show, was coming into that place, uh, the opposition. So we knew we were going to move times, but I think uh, just as things work, they moved it. They didn't like the time it was at. They moved it again, so we shuffled a lot. And I think that cost us some wow. viewership. And um, But Comedy Central gave us 22 episodes. They gave us a network season on a cable network, which nor- very rarely happens. And they kept us alive and allowed us to transform. So I'm very grateful for that. But do I think that this last special proves that we should bring back a narrative series? I think it does. And I think that I've proven my mettle over and over again for them. And I'm hoping that they will uh, understand that. I was so pissed because I go to Comedy Central to watch this show, and I want you to talk about this last show that you did, and they something with my network, and it took me like 20, I couldn't find my password, and my password didn't work, and it oh, was... Uh, online? Oh, yeah. On my, on my uh, iPad. Yeah. I'm calling my husband going, it's a firefighter, 15869, and yeah. I'm going crazy, and I got a 24-hour free access, and I got to see the last show, and it was freaking brilliant, and that was just on Monday, but I think it should be easier to access. I'm sorry if you don't have the comedy central app it should be easier well I'm, you know what i agree with you <laughs> you don't have to worry. I, hey listen i just work for them i'm not i'm not i'm not carrying water for comedy central in the sense that i i think they should make it more available i think it should be on youtube i think it should be as available as possible because it gets more eyes on it and we're very proud of this piece. I, it's a to me, it's an art piece. It's more than just a comedy show. I wanted to frighten people, and not even frighten them. I wanted them to see possible paths, and I didn't want anyone to feel satisfied at the end of it because I think that's true about life. You the know. truck. Oh yeah, the truck. Yeah, yeah. Did, did, you wrote that, I suspect. No, you you just went with that. That was. That was one take. That was improvised. It's unbelievable for anyone who's never heard or seen the truck piece. Here it is. A truck! Oh boy, oh boy! Oh boy, oh boy! There we go! Yeah, Hong Kong! Hong Kong goes the truck! Hong Kong goes the truck! Hong Kong goes the truck! Did you guys see? The truck goes Hong Kong. Did you see that? Did you see it? Unbelievable. It's so crazy. And you see how it moved? Big trucks, big wheels. And the big wheels go around. And then when you pull on the horn, the horn goes crazy. And the truck's so unbelievable because it's a tremendous truck. I wish we had a bigger truck. Wouldn't it be great if a big truck came? Like a big truck, a big 18-wheeler truck, and they're all down. And then a guy showed up, and he was a macho guy. And he says to me, you drive the truck. And then I get to drive the truck, and I get to go all the way down, and I drive it right into the river. And then I drown in the river, and I feel the water seeping over me. And then the air leaves my lungs. And in the moment where my body starts to react, 
and wants air, I let go. And when I let go, the water fills my lungs, and I'm finally at peace. And only then do I find the complete and absolute solitude that I've wanted. Anyway, I want to go home, Bridget. That said so much, and it also, um, it reminded me that uh, of what makes your Trump character different, and that is the empathy that you have. I can remember covering Trump in like, you know, I've been around a while, um, 80, and um, he was, to me, he was always a very sad character. Very sad. I always felt like he was daddy's boy flying on daddy's coattails, was never good enough on his own. Remember, uh, well, you, you probably weren't born, when Jackie Onassis was giving him a hard time because she didn't want him to build his big Trump towers on the, on the, as soon as she died, man, those suckers went up. You know what I'm saying? And um, he just always struck me as a very tragic character. And most people doing Trump don't get that. No. No, I think the problem, and listen, I think this is a deeper problem that we saw in the 2016 election. The argument, oh my God, he's disgusting, how could he become president, didn't work. That argument didn't work against him, right? And in addition to that, it's still not working. And hatred and rejection, no matter how frightening or frightened you are that he's president, doesn't do anything. It doesn't achieve anything. What you want to do is understand who the person is. I think he's a person who is desperately tragic seeks love the rally thing is amazing to me because it's like he figured out an equation to get love in a way that he loves it's perfect he doesn't have to really touch them he can be both condescending to them and also join with them it's a perfect abusive relationship and he comes from abuse you can't tell me he didn't and his father i'm sure was an absolute disaster as a person, I'm guaranteed very abusive. I think his mother was checked out and not all there mentally. And he was the middle child under his brother who he loved and looked up to. And his brother uh, drank himself to death and was the funny one and was the relief in the family. So I just think about not saying like poor Donald Trump. It's not that. It's just those are the things that build a person. And when you see the person that results, right, from all that experience, you can have a better understanding of not only how to um, uh, uh, communicate with them, but also how to undo them. And I don't mean undo him as a person, but I mean remove him from office. Get him out of there. Vote him out of there. He doesn't belong there. He was negotiating to get the apprentice, and he just went with it. And he's not a serious person. So he doesn't, quite frankly, I don't think he even cares. And so that to me is what's so astonishing about this, is everyone puts all this weight and interest and energy into this. And... I don't think I think there's pure apathy in almost every corner, except that he's starting to buy his own BS. And that's what's frightening is that I think a person who, although inherently racist and misogynistic, I don't think he's a man who 10 years ago was like, I am a white supremacist. Right. But he has now become aligned and joined with declaring you're a nationalist. First, he doesn't even understand what a nationalist means. You know he doesn't get it, but he also does get it because he knows it's a dog whistle to people who support him, and he wants that turnout, that white supremacist turnout. And so I think it's incumbent to get him out because he is spinning himself out in a way that's more and more dangerous. Every day he's in there is more dangerous. I've said this before, but this we're seeing a Jonestowning in America. He's a cult leader, and we have a cult. That's what's happening. The country's been taken over by a cult, and that's it, plain and simple. Well, what's interesting is that I think that people 
that follow his followers. His they empathize with him too. He's one of them. He is one of them on a very basic level that I don't even think they understand. And isn't it interesting? Yes, I think it is interesting that, well, think about it. He is, the vibe is the notion that he always was outside here, right? He's from Queens. He never could be on the same level as those Manhattan builders, right? He never could be with the Blue Bloods. And we all know that. I'm from Chelsea, Massachusetts. I I know what it means to go to a Blue Blood school and be reminded that you are not a white Anglo-Saxon Protestant, that you are not part of their world, right? And politics is that. Politics is still ultimately populated by that class of people. And I think that that outsider feeling he has that is innate in him is where people subconsciously are attracted. But also in his rallies, he's a storyteller. He is like a medicine man. He comes up and tells the same story every time. He talks about the 17 people he defeated. He makes sure that everyone feels they're a part of his experience, that they all did this together, that they all defeated it. And that casual nature that he expresses on stage when he goes off uh, and makes some sort of you know bizarre statement or does a joke or says something that you're like, that Blasey Ford thing that was so disturbing when he went through, you know, his version of her events. But the truth is, is that it is an intimate moment that he is having with people. And as he gets more confident and comfortable doing these intimate moments with people in more gregarious and offensive ways, it, the byproduct is, uh, whether it's conscious or inadvertent, is a lowering of the bar of how we communicate and what we're willing to say to each other. And I don't think we understand because we've lived in such a sort of insular society, at least in the West and in the first world for so long, that we are lost sight of the fact that there is like a collective psyche that uh, can downgrade over time in our civilization and how the standards we set for our leadership and what we have coming out, as that lowers, we descend further into the darkness. And if you really go into the darkness, it can be centuries or millennia before human beings come back out of it. And this cycles happen for thousands of years. And because we're so unaware of our history and scope now that we don't, we don't believe it's possible because we have our phone and the subway works and we go get the coffee at Starbucks and do all the things we do that give us the illusion of order. But right now, order, disorder is creeping in in every, every crack and crevice. So this book, all right, we're doing this book. Oh, wait, yeah. wait, let's do your American tantrum. Should we, should we talk? The microphone loves this book. It's so colorful, said the microphone. Hmm? <laughs> microphone is talking to me. Loves the cover. <laughs> loves the cover. But the microphone wants you to talk to it like President Trump. Oh, okay, sure. Can you read? Yeah. Can you do some readings? Open mic night right here. Mic night. Open mic day right here in the studio. Oh, well, so wait, perfect. Okay, yeah, well, yeah go ahead. Well, well wait, what's this book about for you? This well, book is... Uh, when we came up with it, the, the root thing was, remember zines? Remember zines? Okay. So I was like, I want to make a zine that's a book. I want to make something where there's just a million different things in it. I want to make a bathroom reader. I want to make something you throw on the back of the toilet and you read a section whenever you want. But I also wanted it to be narrative. So the notion is that Trump brings this author named Kelsey Nelson who wrote for Golf and Stream magazine, which is uh, where all the great golf courses are and what streams are next to them. Um, 
He's like a sort of he's sort of a country club Republican. And we wanted to do this metaphor of the country club Republican becoming the proud boy and then coming out the other end. So Kelsey, the author, goes through this journey with Trump as he's interviewing him. And then he Kelsey presumably releases all these audio tapes, but also other stuff like excerpts from Steve Bannon's fiction, from his Dan Brown style white supremacist novels to uh, General Kelly's um, instructions for a president based on Washington's manners and, and etiquette. So we tried to do an Americana tribute. We tried to make it a, a, a political document wrapped in humor. And um, and the conceit is that Trump wants to build his library before Obama, so he's doing it in a book like it's a blueprint. So that's where it like starts, and then it just weaves everywhere. Uh, and so I'm very proud of it. And the audiobook has Kathy Griffin, Tom Arnold, John Gamberling, Lennon Parham, Neil Casey, and myself all reading different parts. So it's like a co- the 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 book on tape is like a full blown comedy album. So we're really excited about that, too. Okay, so, that's all good right? to know. All right, I do a lot of driving. Go ahead. So let's say here. Okay, so we'll just I'm flipped to this page. This is Trump talking about his family. Um, and he's just saying he's upset because he can't find where Let's Make a Deal is. So Trump goes, look at this guy. Does it say WGN? Yes, sir. It's an interviewer. I don't know. I don't watch the, that family feud. Steve Harvey, good guy, but... Too much. It's too much. Makes me laugh. I can't think when I'm listening to him. Now, here's the thing. I grew up in Queens. I grew up in a very small house. Grew up in a very tiny house. My mother and my brother and my sister and my father. My mother was a Scottish woman, and she was very tough. They called her the Scottish Angel because of her beautiful flowing red hair. And my dad was even tougher. This was a guy who used to go to work, come home, and he didn't want to be bothered. But what I'll tell you, and this is very true, I'll tell you this one time, so incredible. I used to go into the neighborhood and play with all the kids, and we'd have fun. I used to throw rocks at little girls and wood. We'd play stickball in the ditch, all the New York Street games. Grab the bottle cap, stink up the bus stop, and there was bucket ball. You'd put a bucket in the middle of the street, and you'd throw a ball in it. And there was kick the can, guess the Asians, sever the sissy's pinky on the Q train. That's where you find the biggest sissy on the train. You can always spot a sissy because they got a lollipop. And then you'd go up and you'd take some dental floss and just zip, pull off the pinky. I had a necklace of sissy pinkies when I was a kid. Believe me, I had a very big necklace. Were you satisfied with that reading? Yes. Yeah. I also satisfied because it's so insane. And I can't believe the things we didn't edit out of this book. We just put, we literally wrote the book and we're like, it's all fine. It's good. No joke. But it's, I love it because to me, it's like that speaks more volumes to me of who he is than like Woodward's fear, which is like crafted. And, Mm. and this is the thing I, I, I think I've realized this from saying this earlier is like, He's a fictional president, right? So you need to do a fictional account to actually get to the truth, right? Like the irony is that I, and I say this with great confidence, maybe some hubris, but I think that I better get him at a root gut level without even having to do much research at this point on him than people who are spending hours trying to tea leaf read him figure out what's the design and that's the whole point is there is no design he's buckshot and chaos so you have to operate in buckshot and chaos in order to go into alignment with him and i think that that's what everyone's missing that's very unfortunate do you think he really wants to go another term you know i don't know i think that 
Um, it will all depend on the midterms. If the midterms cut the Democrat way, I think he's like, I'm done. I don't want to do it. I don't want to do yes. it. Yes. If, fight. if yeah. the red, if there is a retention of the House, I think he'll be like, let's do it. Because for him, it's all about can he win and can he become his movie version of what he thinks a president is. So as long as the narrative for him, he's a narrative-driven person. Everything for him is a story and a narrative, right? He's watching his own movie. So as long as his own movie keeps going well for him, I think he stays in the picture. But the minute his movie moves south, I think that he would walk away very easily. But the only thing is is that this is not a person who's going to walk away. He'd have to be torn out of the space. So I don't... I actually believe the greatest fear I have is that he loses and he won't concede. And he'll say the election is is, is uh, illegitimate. I saw that. I, oh, yeah, your show. Yeah, right. thank you. What's the name of that show? Uh, uh, the President Show documentary, The Fall of Donald Trump. So, yes. as long as he's president, though, you have this ensemble and you have this endless material. Yes. What happens... You know what's next for you? I mean, do you even think about that? Do you uh, do you oh, fear at all of the like? I I don't I don't want you, I don't want to offend you at all, but like the Fonzie thing. One of Henry yeah. Winkler's a freaking awesome actor, right, right. and it was like not fair what happened to him for a while. Yeah, but look at him now. Yeah, but look how long it took. Yeah, well, I'm fortunate. I'm already halfway through my life, so uh, so so I have less time. Um, What's well? What's next for me is Trump Dump Rally Edition with Anthony Atamanik at the Bell House on Saturday, November tenth. The Bell House is in Brooklyn. Um, I will say this: I think that uh, uh, I'm not worried because I used the show to do so many other genre hits. Right? I tried to show so many different perspectives in the show, and I think even the doc is like its own art piece that's separate from Trump almost. So I'm not that worried about it because I think um, I like creating shows. I like making things and creating shows. And I actually just got cast in a project that I can't say what it is yet, but I got a couple episodes there as, you know, a character that's not Trump. So I, I'm pretty confident because of amount, the amount of time I worked in the industry prior to doing this that I'll find my way out of it. And um, I, I don't mind doing him right now. I, it, to me, it's a political act, and I want to do him as long as he's in power. I want to do him and then I'll continue to do something in this area, not doing Trump, but staying critical of not just the right, but of my own political leanings and making sure that we're, you know, marching upright and straight and, and right and not um, uh, uh, bending to um, lip service uh, to people who need help. Right. And then meanwhile, taking tons of foreign cash and payday loan companies and all the other garbage that Democrats also take and do. And I think that it's incumbent upon us to be honest and clean our house. And so that's what I think. Uh, I thought I don't know if it was you or what research I was doing, but I know it occurred to me with the whole thing with Saudi Arabia. I mean, come on, Clintons, Bushes, we have been in bed with them for so long. Yeah, can't put that all on Trump. I mean, I firmly agree with you. It actually really upset me. And it shows something to me, which is tough because you don't want to say Trump is right. But in this sense that he says, like, they're all piling it on me and he and he's already paranoid as a person anyway. He's right. In this instance, he's totally right. Yes. Is Jared in bed with the Saudis and is he have all these dealings with the Saudis and he, so does everybody. This is uh, this is how many was it? Fourteen or fifteen of the nine eleven hijackers were Saudis, and Bush held the hand 
of the Saudi king less than four months after. So what are we talking about? All of the big networks have Saudi money in them. All MSNBC, CNN, all of them have Saudi money in them. This is an astonishing fleecing of the American people in the sense that I don't think you should exonerate Trump at all for the things he's done, but they are trying to, as I say in the special, pour everything onto him so they can remove themselves, and then when he's gone, we can go, sanity's returned, and it's the same exact garbage that got us into this mess. Right. And so I think with the with the Saudis and the notion that the Turkish are somehow the reasonable actors, oh. I don't even understand what's happening anymore, and I think it's partly because um, there is no firewall between corporate ownership and media. And we need to build that firewall. Media needs to be, news media needs to be a lost leader, right? I, you should be able to lose money so that you can do what you need to do and not be driving for ratings. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. This was wonderful.